One of the best stories I, I, I know of my dear friend Art uh, Greco and his wife Brenda was that uh, they, were, they were selling his little pickup, Ford pickup at one point and, uh, and they were in the East Bay somewhere and they were meeting with a guy who was in grad school and he was there looking at the car and Art has kept his car in really good shape and so he was getting kind of top dollar for this uh, secondhand Ford pickup truck and they're talking with the guy and they're doing the thing and you know Art's like wanting to get maximum price for this car to do the next thing they needed to do with cars and so they're having the dialogue back and forth and this 23-year-old kid or you know I'm a kid that's a kid to me you know 23-year-old young man was was doing the haggling thing and they kind of got to this place and and uh and uh, the kid says, well, I, that's actually, I don't, I think that's as far as I can go. That's all I can do. And, and Art, you know, you know, you're with me, right? Those of you guys that, so there's, there's two kinds of people in the world, the people who love that whole art of the deal thing, and there's people who cannot stand it, right? And you know who you are, but the people who love it, and, uh, you know, guys like Art were like, well, okay, well, th- nice to meet you. That's going to be it. And they're standing around the car, and Brenda goes, Greg, in front of the guy. Oh, man, he's trying to do something with his life, and he's going to grad school, and I think that's more than enough for this car. We ought to just give him, and, and, and he's given her this, what do you, just. and I, I was like, well, no, actually, unfortunately, I can't let it go for that price, and, and so he sees the guy realize, okay, I almost had it, but probably not, so the guy's starting to soften up, and Art's like, yep, yeah, no, this is really what it's worth, you're getting a good deal at this price, at which point Brenda goes, no, really, we can let it go cheaper than that in front of the guy. So Art's like, honey, can we have a little word behind the truck? Let's come over here and stand behind the truck. He's telling you, you're killing me. What are you doing? And that was how Art told me the story when they came back from that experience. I go, how'd that go? He's like, my wife is killing me. She gave that truck away for less money. She basically then said from the back of the truck from Art, like, hey, yeah, listen, listen, that'll be great. We'll take that price. Whatever you can afford, we'll take that for the car. I love that. I literally have a dozen stories like that off the top of my head about my friends Art and Brenda. They come off as, they are the most generous people that I know. And as we finish our series here on being good news to a world that needs it, one of the topics that we could not miss was to talk about generosity, to talk about being a generous people. Our world lives in this deep anxiety and fear around this. We live in this era of scarcity, as it's been called, this era where there's not enough. There's not enough money. There's not enough safety. There's not enough joy. There's not enough friendship. There's not enough peace. There's not enough. There's not nobody. There's not enough people in my life that in the end will be there for me. And generosity is such good news because it stares down this demon of scarcity and it proclaims, oh, dear friend, we're all in this together. I'm with you and I got your back. And further, I serve a God who gives us abundantly, immeasurably more than all that we can ask or imagine. And I'm crazy about you, and I'm going to take you on that journey with me. This is not a journey of scarcity and fear. This is a journey of abundance and provision. That's the God that we serve. Doesn't just hearing those words, doesn't that just fill your heart? Doesn't it just inspire? This is the God that we're talking about who meets us in all his fullness. Generosity awakens souls to hope and joy because it always feels to people, feels like to all people that we're not alone, that we matter, and that we're loved. Uh, super famous, you gotta see, this is so fun, you gotta see this clip. Do you remember the original, it's a meme now, but do you remember the original 2004 Oprah, the You Got a Car? You get a car, you get a car, you gotta watch it, it's a minute long, it's so worth it. Everybody in the audience, now listen to me carefully. 
is being given a special package, and I don't want you to open it. Do not open it. Cameras are on you, so do not open until I tell you. Joy rising. Joy is about to rise right now. Does everybody have a box? Yes! All right. Inside one of these boxes is a key. Do not open it yet. Okay, everybody, listen up. Here is the deal. If your box has a key, you will be the last person today to get one of those cute little G6s. Okay? Who will it be? Are you ready? Hold on. Are you ready? JR is back in our audio booth. I want, you know, JR, this calls for a drum roll. Cue the drum roll. All right, open your boxes. Open your boxes. One, two, three. Happiest moments ever. <laughs> you get a car and you get a car. Everybody gets a car. It was the best. It was the best moment. I love she was genius. When I went back and saw that on YouTube, I thought it was way better than I remember it because she set it up like one person gets a car. And everybody in the room had this sense of, okay, well, Chevy or Oldsmobile or whoever a G6 is, that's how long ago it was. Was that a Pontiac or something? Yeah. So, you know, like, okay, Pontiac for promotional consideration gave away one of their cheap, lame little cars. Okay. Everybody kind of went whatever. Like, it's that same theology of scarcity. It's that same sense that somebody can, you know, there may be one good deed out there, but it's certainly not coming my way, and it's certainly barely worth anything, right? And so it was that idea that everybody's like, okay, there's one in here. Maybe, maybe I'm going to be the one to get a car. And then all of a sudden, the floodgates of generosity were opened, and everybody opened their box, and everybody had a key. Wasn't that the best that you saw people think, I'm the, like, I got it. I got the key. And then they see everybody else, and instead of being like, what? You all got keys? They were all like, we all got keys. We all got cars. Oprah, you get a car and you get a car. Everybody gets a car. That's the spirit of generosity. Everybody gets a car. There's so much to go around. There's so much provision and blessing and abundance in the kingdom of God and God's kingdom people, that's you and me, church, get to be the ministers of that kind of abundance. It's great news that we get to be to each other and to the world that kind of good news, that kind of generosity. Our gospel is filled. Our good news is filled with this idea of generosity. Here's one verse right here, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. This is a generous God who calls us to generous living. This is how we know what love is. And look at the generous spirit in here. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. It's this all-in, over-the-top, sacrificial life of giving. That's what God did, and that's what we get to do. He laid down his life for us. We lay down our lives for others. You see the generosity in that piece? This morning, I want to just have time to talk about two pieces of generous living, two pieces of good news that we just didn't get to in the rest of the series because this is the end of our uh, series on being good news. And those two pieces are sharing what we have and sharing who we are. Sharing what we have and sharing who we are. These are both pieces of generosity. Sharing what we have and sharing who we are. And I want to talk about one aspect of each. I wish I could talk tons and tons more about each of these, but uh, alas, we can't. So here, let's talk about sharing what we have. Sharing what we have. 
sharing what we have is really about uh, the giving, the good news of giving of our resources, the good news of sharing our resources, the good news of taking the abundance that we've been given and giving it to other people. Uh, I think about the, I literally Googled uh, sharing French fries because that for me is the symbol of it. When you get that giant pile of French fries from McDonald's and they're so good, I literally like, my wife will be like, you can get some, um, no, those are my fries. But the abundance of fries, there's 14,000 calories in that pile. And, uh, and I know that I can sacrifice some of them. But this sharing of abundance, sharing what we have is, about, is, is the good news of the giving of our resources. Friends, the Bible word for this or the spiritual word for this is stewardship. It's stewardship. Because stewardship, why? Why is it called stewardship? Because we're giving, we have been given resources by the owner of all things. And we've been asked to be stewards of those resources. This is fundamental Christianity 101, stewardship 101, that we, everything that we have comes from God. He's the giver of all good gifts and everything we have, every dollar, every breath, every day we've been given, that comes from God. And he says, now listen, steward that for me. Be my servant with that. And so this generosity of sharing what we have is about stewardship. It's about us stewarding then out to be his servants, those resources. And we do that according, listen, according to the desires of him who owns it all. Like we, don't, we don't even get to spend our resources on what we want to spend them on. We're stewards of those resources and we spend them, invest them, use them for what pleases him. And I'll tell you what pleases him. He loves this world. He loves this world. He loves people that are near to him. He loves people that are far away from him. He loves people that get it and think just like you. And he loves people who do not get it. He loves people that are all put together and he loves people that are a mess. And so we get to share our resources according to his desire to love the world. You see the sense of generosity in that? Look at this verse. This is a great verse in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is Paul telling Timothy, who's pastoring the church in Ephesus, command those who are rich in this present world. Stop. You know that's you. I mean, we're, the fact that everybody here drove here or had enough money to Uber here or enough money to take a bus here means you're in the, the top percentage of the world in terms of resources. The fact that probably most of you slept inside some sort of a, of a, a place last night. You had a home, you're renting, you're owning, you're staying with someone. You had a place last night to lay your head. It means you're in the top percentage of our world resources. And spiritually speaking, because you've been exposed to the good news of who God is, you're rich. And so he says, now listen, those of you, you who are rich in this present world, don't be arrogant and put your hope in what it is you have. Don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. He says, go tell people who have resources. Now, and you hear me, we're not just talking about your neighbor who's richer than you. You know that, right? We're not just talking about you're thinking that there's this unseen rich woman or rich man in your head. This is, it. This is you. It says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to think, look at what I've got, not to you know, put their hope in, in wealth because it's so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. That's the steward part. He gives us everything to be his people, and there's such joy in that life. Verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich 
in good deeds and to be what? Generous and willing to share. That's the definition of it right there. To be generous and willing to share, to be over the top the way that God laid down his life for us, that we lay down our lives for others, to be generous and willing to share. All of us are in the position to do that. Why? What's the reason for that? Verse 19. In this way, why did he command that? Because in this way, they'll lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You look at those words again? It's because they will understand that they're heaven people, they're kingdom people, and life that's truly life is living as a steward now in, for kingdom values that's gonna last for eternity. And so we're called to be generous and willing to share of our resources. This is what's good news to the world. You get a, we live the you-get-a-car life. That everywhere we go, we become the you get a car and you get a car and you get a car. Everybody gets a car. And in Oprah, that, that little clip in Oprah recounting that story is like, you feel joy rising. That's a, how about my Oprah? Did you see that was a good Oprah? <laughs> she nailed it. You feel this swell of good news among people when we live out generosity. You guys are killing it at this. You're killing it at this. You're killing it at being willing to share, at bringing joy. Every time we come to you as a church and we go, listen, here's the deal. The fires, man, we got to help. And we got a partner church up there that's trying to do this. Can we, what do you think? And then 20,000 bucks comes through the text messaging thing, the app and the plate, and you guys jump in. And we're like, man, Houston, and we've got some churches down there and let's help those people help their neighbors. And you guys gave... And I, don't, I can't remember what all the numbers were, but I thought you saw, did you see the report and you see those numbers that came through? And Houston and Florida and Puerto Rico. And we said, and it was, it was I think it was our, 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 our board chair is like, um, we're not going to be the people that remember the Americans who have more resources than the Puerto Ricans, right? Who are struggling, right? We're going to give to Puerto Rico and thousands of dollars came in from you guys. Every time we turn around and say to you guys, you know, here's a need, wham, that need is met. It's so fun. You're a you-get-a-car church. That's the best. I think there's somebody in this church who actually got a car from our church. Is that right? Raise your hand if you got a car from our church. <laughs> right over there. <laughs> you guys are great at this. All of these things. There's infinite ways for you to keep generously giving of your resources, to keep give, being good news over and over and over again. So my word about that is get creative and stay open and attend your eyes and your ears to the Holy Spirit and to his whispering and bless people like crazy. My first message in this whole thing was we're people who get to love like crazy. So keep living that way, you guys, looking for ways to share your resources. That's good news. But let me talk about one other aspect, one more aspect about that sharing of, of what we have that we have to keep in front of us as a teaching in the church. And that's that idea of tithing. You're like, whoa, there it is. No, this is a part of the whole idea because here's what tithing is, friends. Tithing is our opportunity to collectively as a church meet one another's needs, meet our community's needs, meet needs in the world, that what we do together is greater than what each, any of us could do uh, individually. And so we've said, hey, this is the body of Jesus's people gathered together, one of them in Marin County, and together we're going to do all these things. And so, you know, we, we don't talk so much about tithing with you guys, but we got to keep it in front of you. And uh, this is a great time to keep it in front of you because there's no crisis. 
This is not why I preach this sermon, because there's an ask coming. There's not like, hey, listen, you got to step up. Uh, you've stepped up. And, and you know, we, we consistently are meeting our goals in terms of the ministry plan that we prayed over, that we strategized, that you voted into place, that you're helping us uh, uh, do in the world. Like, we're meeting those objectives. So you hear that? There's no, like, what do you go? What's the matter with you people? There's none of that. This message is coming because it's part of the biblical message of being God's generous people, that collectively is the church, not just individually as you tip that single parent waiter that you met at the restaurant or as you give away your car for less than it's worth to somebody because you're doing it. Beyond that, it's what we do collectively. You with me? You hear that? Half of you are like, I don't know. We'll see. So, but I want to teach about this because it's this weird thing that we don't really talk about because we don't want you to feel weird about it and you don't want it. So we don't even talk about it. But let's talk about it a little bit. Tithing. This is, this is by being part of the way the collective body of believers is going to be good news because through the ministry that we do in our room, through our children's ministry, through our student ministry, in our community, at our schools, at our to, giving to, to uh, resource, under-resourced people, and then throughout the, around the world, all the places where people are hearing about Jesus and we're meeting physical needs around the world. It's all of that. It's in our big, our big giant budget that we do. We collectively get to be good news. Let's talk really quick about it. What's a tithe mean? A tithe means 10%. And people are like, whoa, 10%. Yeah, tithe means 10%. And 10%, uh, the, the word tithe comes from the Old Testament. I want you to know something. The word tithe does not fall in, does not, it's not in the New Testament except where Jesus says, hey, look, you people that are super legalistic, you think you're doing great with God because you give a tithe of this and a tithe of that. He only actually talks about a tithe a little bit negatively in the New Testament. So let me get there. But the Old Testament, a tithe is what, what happened in the tithe is that God's people, it was, it, 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 it was, they tithed, it was an agricultural thing. They tithed part of their crops and their livestock to the Lord. It was a spiritual discipline so that God's people remember they took the first fruits. Have you heard that phrase? They took the first fruits, literally, the first fruits the babies up from, their, from their sheep, their, the, the, the crops, the first fruits, they took those things and they dedicated them to the Lord. And why? Because it was a spiritual moment to say, everything we have comes from God. And I'm giving it back to God in gratefulness and recognition. It was a spiritual discipline to embed in their hearts and in their souls and in their minds that life was about trusting God and that everything comes from him and that everything I need will be given from him and that then I will have everything I need in order to share with others. So it was a 10% thing for them. But here's the truth about the tithe in the Old Testament. It wasn't 10%. There was one tithe was due every year that was 10%. Then a different tithe was due every year. That was another 10%. And there was a different tithe that was due every third year. So that's 3.3% per year. So Old Testament giving was 23.3%. I'm thinking you might be getting a great deal. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> What's the New Testament percentage? Anybody have a guess? 100 the New Testament message is that Jesus Christ is the Lord of our lives and everything we have belongs to him. And I don't breathe, I don't spend, I don't do without living under the lordship of Jesus. It's 100%. Isn't that great news? So our generosity then is not a legalistic 10%. It's not a legalistic 23%. That's not the goal. The goal is to submit everything to Jesus and then to live generously out of that. Way harder, don't you think? You needed an out, didn't you? You wanted a formula. You wanted a formula that you could either be comfortable with or be angry at me about. You wanted a formula, and I wasn't going to give it to you. 
because we submit our lives to the Lord. That's what this tithe is. So what happens is, instead of teaching about a law or sort of a rule, it teaches us about giving generously to all that God is doing. And what God is doing through this church is the, the tithe part. That's what the New Testament teaches about giving to the work of God within his people. And it is A, a spiritual discipline, just like the Old Testament. Give to the Lord and what he's doing so that it tells your heart, soul, mind, I'm all in on what God's doing in the world. That's my big job. I'm God's person. And I'm all in on what God's doing in the world. And then it's a super pragmatic thing as well, that we end up paying the bills for all the needs that come for ministry and for life, for people that are struggling. That's what it is in the New Testament. Here's what it looks like as Paul fleshed it out. I wanted you to see this in 1 Corinthians uh, 16, the end of this Uh, uh, his book, his letter to the Corinthians. He says, now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatians to do. In other words, here's what we're realizing was a pattern in the early church. The apostle Paul said, this is what the Galatians are doing. This is what I want you to do. And then look at the words. On the first day of each week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, collections, uh, uh, that no collections will have to be made. Meaning, don't make me come and go, you guys, we have all these needs. You said you wanted to do this ministry. Come on. Thank you that we are not having to do that. This is me blessing you, okay? I don't really know how to do that. I'm not really Catholic, but bless you. We don't have to do that. He said, and Paul says the same thing. You set it aside. It's a discipline. It's a spiritual discipline. In fact, if you look at some of the words, here's some, uh, quickly, this, look at this. Here's, here's some words. It's giving to the Lord, giving to the, to the church, this tithing idea, is, it, it's individual. I want you to go to that next slide so we can see that. It's individual. Each one of you should do that. It isn't, and you know, the thing about this, you guys, is that there's this kind of this thing inside us that goes, uh, yeah, that may be for the people that are empty nesting, or that may be for the people who really made it work, or that may be for the people who didn't struggle in the downturn, or that may be for the whatever. It's everybody. It's individual. Each one of you, he says in that verse, it's regular. He says, it's on the first day of the week, I want you to do that. Maybe you give weekly. There are some people that give weekly. I know that there are some people that, that, that you know, they want to be every single Sunday in church, want it to be that regular for them. Other people do it monthly, and that's regular. Some people do it electronically. Have you seen the little laminated cards in the back of the chairs in front of you? There's a card there so that you can actually give that in, in lieu if you want to come up physically and worship the Lord by giving back to him, even though it all happened in the electronics from your bank account right to ours. So unromantic, I know. But thank you for doing it because it makes your giving regular and helps us kind of plan on that income stream and how that works. But you take that card out and you can give that. But it's regular. It's methodical. That's the, the verses, you know, in it's setting it aside, saving it up. In other words, there's a plan. There's a commitment. There's somebody thinking it through and having a method in which they're going to give to the collective work that God's doing through our church. And then last, it's, um, it's proportional. It says, in keeping with your income in that text. It's proportional. And so when we talk to people about giving, they're like, hey, I want to start giving to the Lord's work. I know it's a good spiritual discipline. And by the way, it's a good pragmatic thing to help us pay the bills for all the ministry that we're doing around the world in our church. I want to start giving. What do I do? We talk with people about giving proportionally or percentagely. The 10% thing, we think that's not a bad number because that's sort of that idea of, of, and it's kind of throughout the scripture there in the Old Testament about, you know, the first fruits. It's one-tenth. But that's just symbolic. Many of you have found that one-tenth is completely not enough for you as well. And others have found they started with 
and went to two and three and four. Listen, church, this is all about being a generous group of people. And we're getting to do that. If you're giving through the body of Christ to the ministry that we do together here and in the community and in the world, thank you, bless you, continue to do that. Because of you, this church gets to be that generous good news all around the world, literally all around the world. And if you haven't begun to do that, we want to just invite you to start the spiritual discipline of giving. There's no law, there's no rule, there's no pressure. And by the way, you know that we as pastors don't know how much you give. We don't have access to those numbers. We don't like go, oh, hey, you're uh, a loser, or hey, you're my best friend. We don't know any of that stuff. Come and give to the Lord as part of your generosity. Share what you have. Because the scripture teaches and I can't miss this verse. You've got to see this verse. Scripture teaches this. Paul said to the Corinthians, remember this, he says. That's him saying it. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And then one more verse, verse 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly, If you step out and give, friends, God is able to bless you abundantly so that at all things, at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in good work. Do you hear the promise there? That you get to be God's people living a life of generosity and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, you'll have all that you need so that you get to be a generous people. It's a great promise. So we invite you to give. Okay. How was that? Did you feel uncomfortable? Anybody uncomfortable? You're not going to say that, okay. All right, I'm just going to take one minute. I've got to point out one other piece of generous uh, living. And that is this idea of not only just sharing what we have, but sharing who we are. And the sharing who we are, we've talked about several times over the course of this uh, uh, series, the sharing of who we are, of being um, uh, present in people's lives is one way in which we share who we are, using our gifts and, and, uh, uh, and strengths that God has given us is sharing who we are. But this one piece is missing that is in the scriptures, and it's this piece. It's the word hospitality. We haven't touched on the generosity of hospitality. You see, it's good news, you guys, when we give ourselves to people in practicing this kind of relatively lost art called hospitality. This verse, you can see in tied together there, share with the Lord's people who are in need. That's the share what we have. And then that piece, and practice hospitality. And you're like, really? That's like Martha Stewart. What are you talking about? It's like Norman Rockwell. Is this what you're saying? In today's world, you're actually asking us to be hospitable? And the answer is yes. We can't escape it in the scriptures. It's this amazing reality that we put out the welcome mat of, of our lives and say, we want you in our lives. Not just are we going to be in your life, and that's good news, but we want you in our life. And, 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 and that's as opposed to this sort of the, the go away shell that we put around ourselves. It's amazing how many mats you can buy on the web that have nasty uh, messages on them. And we're saying if we're going to be a generous people who share all that we have and share who we are, that we're going to invite people into our lives. Think about just the words of initiating and inviting. It's incredibly, powerfully good news to people because essentially every one of us, all you adults, are all just junior hires who when someone comes and says, would you be my friend and come over and hang out with me? It's good news to our souls. I don't even need to preach anymore about that and I'm out of time. 
But that initiating and inviting is good news. This word hospitality in the Greek is philozenia. Is that a good word? You want to take that word home? Doug, I love that you're writing that word down. You're my favorite parishioner right now. (laughs) Philozenia. Philo means brotherly love, affection. And xenia means, anybody know? To strangers. The idea of hospitality, you guys, is that we are making friends out of strangers. In other words, we're bringing intimacy where there's distance and community where there's isolation. We're making friends out of strangers. There's strangers in this room and we don't know one another. And we're bringing intimacy where there's distance and community where there's isolation. That is good news to every human soul. And so, friends, are we giving who we, what we have to people? Are we sharing generously from what we have? It's the command of God that we live that way. And are we inviting them into our lives, initiating and inviting them, practicing that hospitality? You realize, you know, the big challenge in that, in both of those, is the idea of margins. Because if you, if we, have spent all that we have so that we have nothing to give away, if we, have, if we have created no margins in our financial world, then we're not able to be obedient to this idea of being God's people generously sharing in the work of God. And so it requires a ruthless inventory of where we spend our money and why so that we're able to give and to share what we have. And similarly, if our lives are so crazy and full that people are not invited in where we sit and listen and get face to face and say, I want you, I choose you, I love you, I'm delighted in you and I'm present with you. If we're not able to do that, that hospitality ministry, because our lives are too crazy, then we're not able to fulfill the Lord's command on his generous people to practice hospitality. And so we need a ruthless inventory where we say, where am I spending my time and why? So that we might be able to create some space to be generous in our presence with other human beings. Oh, this is so good. I hope you see all that, my friends, as good news. And I pray that God would give you the discernment and wisdom and leading and sort of discipline to make some changes. What kind of countercultural radical changes do we need to make to finally be the people that we long to be, sharing what we have and sharing who we are by inviting people in to our lives and our homes. You guys are doing such a great job. I almost didn't even want to preach the message because I thought, you know what? You guys are A-plus students. Bless you as you continue on that journey.